program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope with host Terry Aranga. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Terry and her guest illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Terry Aranga. Sadly, we're here again. In August 2005, I interviewed Dr. Ann Blake Tracy, world-renowned expert on SSRIs and author of Prozac, Panacea or Pandora, Our Serotonin Nightmare, and Donna Taylor, mother of Mark Taylor, who survived being shot by a student taking an SSRI or selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, antidepressant, during the Columbine High School rampage. Today we are in the wake of the December 14th tragedy in Newtown, Connecticut. May God comfort and uphold the families of 26 victims, including 20 little children, gunned down by a young adult that 60 Minutes reported as allegedly medicated, according to friends of the gunman's now-deceased mother. Welcome to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel on January 8th. I'm your host, Terry Aranga, here with my guests, Dr. Michael Schachter and author Deborah Merlin. Director of the Schachter Center for Complementary Medicine, located in Rockland County, New York, near New York City, Dr. Michael Schachter has more than 35 years' experience in complementary, alternative, and integrative medicine, and Dr. Schachter's latest book is titled, What Your Doctor May Not Tell You About Depression. Deborah Merlin is the author of Victory Over ADHD, Mom to Premature Twin Sons Who Eventually Were Diagnosed with Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder and Encouraged to Use Standard Drug Therapy. Deborah and her husband used a non-invasive drug-free treatment regimen for their sons that resulted in a dramatic and permanent improvement of the boy's ADHD symptoms. Welcome, Dr. Schachter and Deborah. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. To begin with, I'm going to ask you both the same question. December 14th, Newtown, Connecticut, 26 children and adults gunned down. What was your first thought? Did you concentrate on the weapon, or did you suspect something else? I suspected something else immediately. I, I, matter of fact, every time I hear of any of these masquerade shootings, I, I usually think that there is a pharmaceutical involved. I have to uh, second the motion. I've, that's exactly what I thought. The first question I had in my mind was, I wonder if, if, if and what particular psychotropic drugs he was on. And now, so that looks to be the case. Deborah, please give our listeners some context of the history of recent massacres involving psych drugs. One of the more recent ones was the Virginia Tech shooting that 32 students were killed. I believe he was on Prozac. Um, Also, the Aurora shooting, the Batman movie, there were some pharmaceuticals, but I don't know if that was ever um, determined which one. 
he was taking or if he had increased his dose or stopped taking his medication. But the photographs of, of that shooter, he looked very disoriented, which made me suspect that he'd been on some kind of pharmaceutical. But um, the other one, um, th- there are several, uh, the Columbine that you just mentioned before in 2005, um, where Eric Harris, um, one of the killers, was on the antidepressant Luvox. And the court records show that the prescription for Harris had been filled 10 times between April 1998 and March 99, and three and a half months before the shooting, the dosage had been increased. And um, Thomas Solomon, a 15-year-old Heritage High School in Converse, um, Georgia, shot and wounded six classmates, and he was on Ritalin. Um, <clears throat> Kip Kendall, a 15-year-old at Thurston High School in Springfield, Oregon, killed his parents and two classmates and went at 22 other students while well, Ritalin and Prozac. And then um, the Andrea Yates in Houston, Texas, which was really tragic, she drowned her five children while well, on Effexor and Remoran. That's a few. Do you want more? <laughs> sure. I, I would just mention one other thing here, uh, uh, Michael Schachter uh, chiming in. Um, actually, I think with the Cho case, I think uh, it, this, this, this stories represent something also which I think is excruciatingly painful, and that is that the media uh, seems to try to keep it quiet. I think in, in Cho's case, uh, they never actually uh, released what, what drugs he was on, although it was suspected that he was on drugs. And in case of the uh, uh, Colorado shooting, the Aurora, the, uh, although Harris's records were released, his, the other guy that was involved, Klebold's records were sealed. And here we have this uh, same thing with this Connecticut, uh, the Connecticut shooting. Uh, nobody says a word. About, I mean, it, it was mentioned on 60 Minutes that uh, uh, friends of the mother said that he had been medicated, but there's not a word uh, about exactly what were the medications, uh, w- w- what the psychiatrist had to say who was treating him, and so on. This is all really kept uh, from the public. I think the, the uh, pharmaceutical companies really do a terrific job in terms of keeping this thing quiet and, is, and making the best that they can of it, uh, yeah. uh, hiding it from the public. Uh, I agree. There was a media blackout on the, on the medication that Lanza was taken. Right. And, and if you watch television and watch the news, the majority of commercials are pharmaceutical commercials, so yeah, they own right. the media. So um, that, that's very, you know, very good point, Doctor. And, and we, need, we deserve to know the truth about this. I agree. And al- along these lines, and I'm going to be quoting from um, David Capellian of WND.com. Uh, I believe that stands for uh, probably World Net Daily. It says, some critics suggest these official omissions are motivated by a desire to protect the drug companies from ruinous product liability claims. Indeed, pharmaceutical manufacturers are nervous about lawsuits over the quote-unquote rare adverse effects of their mood-altering medications. To avoid costly settlements and public relations catastrophes, such as when GlaxoSmithKline was ordered to pay $6.4 million to the family of 60-year-old Donald Schnell, who murdered his wife, daughter, and granddaughter in a fit of rage shortly after starting on Paxil, drug companies' legal teams have quietly and skillfully settled hundreds of cases out of court, shelling out hundreds of millions of dollars to plaintiffs. Pharmaceutical giant Eli Lilly fought scores of legal claims against Prozac in this way. 
settling for cash before the complaint could go to court while stipulating that the settlement remained secret and then claiming it had never lost a Prozac lawsuit. And, you know, Dr. Schachter and Deborah, while I'm reading this, it kind of reminds me uh, as being analogous to something that has happened in the autism community uh, with the unanswered question uh, questions paper from Elizabeth Burt Center for Autism Law and Advocacy. It was published in a peer-reviewed law journal, and um, there are all these cases um, of vaccine injury that have been settled, but they don't use the word autism, but it turns out that um, those who have, quote-unquote, won for their vaccine injuries have been compensated. turns out they had autism. So it wasn't always a gun that was used in, in all of these uh, cases, was it? No, it certainly wasn't. Uh, there, were, there were cases of other uh, types of weapons being used, and, of course, all the emphasis has been on guns and on gun control, and I think this is largely a result of the uh, agenda of, of, of many people who want to take guns away from people, um, which, of course, is uh, contrary to what uh, the... Um, uh, what the Constitution allows, and I think uh, it tries to, I mean, the, the purpose of it was to protect uh, people from uh, being uh, overrun by a government which is fully armed, which has happened in so many dictatorships uh, throughout the world. Dr. Schachter, can you please inform our listeners about the mechanism of action of any of these drugs that Deborah mentioned? For example, do they affect neurotransmitters for better or for worse? Well, I think uh, the, 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 the names or the uh, class, names of the classes of drugs help you to, 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 to get at what, what uh, effects they have. I mean, there are various neurotransmitters such as serotonin, norepinephrine, and uh, some of the drugs, for example, the SSRIs. SSRI stands for uh, serotonergic specific um, reuptake inhibitors. So in other words, what it's saying is that it prevents the neurons from reuptaking the the serotonin which is released at the at the junction between neurons. And so that increases the serotonin and uh you know for some people it may give a temporary beneficial effect but frequently it can lead uh, to all kinds of other side effects. You see, the problem is, is that these, all of these psychiatric drugs are really very, very complicated. And you can, you, know, you can give them a name such as SSRIs or SSNI, which would be norepinephrine inhibitor. Uh, so you can give them all kinds of names. But the fact is that there's so much variability uh, from one person to another as to how somebody can handle these these things that uh, you can't really, I don't think you can really predict from uh, specific effects on neurotransmitters uh, what it's going to have. I think the much more important thing is that it's absolutely known that uh, these, in, in specific individuals, you can have much unintended consequences. So uh, many unintended consequences. And, and, that, and that's the problem. I mean, I, for example, the SSRIs, it took a long time, but a few years ago, the FDA uh, was forced to, to more or less forced to put on a black box warning on these a series of drugs. This would include drugs like Prozac and Paxil and Zoloft and uh, Luvox and many of the others. These are SSRIs, and it says that under certain circumstances, some patients will experience uh, suicidal uh, thoughts and even suicidal behavior. 
Now, it's not a far cry. Uh, they don't mention homicidal, which I think they should mention also, because there's certainly plenty of evidence from court cases and so on indicating that people who are taking these drugs may not have only not only suicidal behavior, but also may have uh, homicidal behavior. It's, it's really very, those are very, very closely related. And, uh, and, and most people don't know about this. Most people don't even know about the black box warning of the suicide on these drugs. And these drugs are just given out willy-nilly, uh, almost like candy in some cases, and not only by psychiatrists, but by family practitioners and so on. You go in, you say you're depressed, the doctor has five minutes to see you, pulls out a prescription pad and writes a prescription. And here, take this, it'll help your depression. I also like to add in too, um, many years ago when I was when my kids were young and I was very stressed out, I actually went on Zoloft for one month, and it was the worst experience of my life. I actually became extremely depressed, and I felt like my emotions were stuck, and I became numb, I emotionally numb. I I was not connecting with my kids or my husband, and it was such a scary feeling. I went right off the drug. So, um, and I'm actually grateful for that experience because it made me that much more determined never to put my kids on any of these pharmaceuticals. Well, right. I think I think that's very good, and I, I said the problem is is that a lot of people uh, don't necessarily experience that, and they wind up going on them, and they go on them and on them and on them, and they stay on them for a tremendous time. I saw somebody this morning in my office. Um, who is having, we, we've been taking about five months now to get her off the psychotropic drugs. She, she's taking a drug, which I think you mentioned earlier, uh, one of you mentioned, affects her, uh, which is very difficult to get off. And uh, so she's actually taking, uh, there are 180 beads in a capsule of Effexor, and she's removing one bead per day in order to get off the effects. So in another, she's down to 106 now, so in, in a few months she'll be able to be off it altogether. But that's the kind of thing that you have to do. You have to go very, very slowly on many of these drugs, or you can have horrible reactions, withdrawal effects from them. Wow. So it sounds like, in fact, these types of drugs can have the same side effects or adverse effects as the very symptoms that they were prescribed to treat. And if you look at some of the commercials on television, they say, you know, this drug may make you happy or sad, awake or asleep. And, and with FNATS, I read something about that that said, you know, we they don't know how it works. How, how can you prescribe something where you don't know how it works? And with that, we will go to break here at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'd like to uh, thank our guest, Dr. Michael Schachter, who you can find at www.schachter.com. H-A-C-H-T-E-R center.com and Deborah Merlin, victory over ADHD.com. And also we'd like to thank our sponsor, Humpback Dairies, provider of high quality, uh, delicious camel's milk, a healthful whole food, and they can be reached at 417-848-7570. We'll be right back. listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? 
Peter Tong has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. In the spirit of Have Couch, Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We are back with Dr. Michael Schachter, Director of the Schachter Center for Complementary Medicine in Rockland County, New York, near New York City, and author Deborah Merlin, uh, who wrote Victory Over ADHD. And Dr. Schachter, they say that Adam Lanza had Asperger's syndrome. So why is serotonin important in autism, and why might an SSRI be detrimental to anyone, especially a child with autism spectrum disorder? Well, there have been papers that go way back indicating that there's something wrong or there's some abnormalities in the serotonin metabolism of uh, autistic uh, or, or people on the autistic spectrum. They found, for example, that they had high blood serotonin levels. That, now, that doesn't necessarily mean that they, they, they may actually have a deficiency in the nervous system, but in the blood it was high. But the important point is that, it's, it, that the metabolism is, uh, is affected and it it's, could very well be that uh, it's, uh, autistic uh, kids who are very sensitive to many, many different things uh, could certainly have uh, exact opposite reactions from certain drugs that you would expect them to be doing something else. You know, um, I had talked to a, uh, a gastroenterologist from overseas, uh, not probably the one that first comes to mind for everybody who's been in the news, but... Um, someone else, and they said that uh, uh, children with autism shouldn't be taking acetaminophen. You know, the condition of your gut um, helps you metabolize uh, process drugs. And if your gut is messed up, which is the case with so many uh, children on the autism spectrum, you're not going to process things the same. So who are they doing these clinical trials on with these drugs, and how do they know how an individual with autism is going to process them. Well, this is true, and the fact is that the acetaminophen, of course, is uh, metabolized through the liver and uh, is potentially one of the most dangerous drugs for the liver, and the people who have died from acetaminophen poisoning as a result of just their liver turning off because it was so badly uh, poisoned by the acetaminophen. But, uh, you know, all of these drugs, I think, uh, you know, America is too medicated. You know, the the whole 
healthcare system is based on uh, coming up with a diagnosis or a label and then uh, pulling out a prescription pad and putting people on medications, whether it's for lowering cholesterol or treating high blood pressure or uh, anxiety or depression. I mean, that's the knee-jerk response of most physicians, and there really isn't any attention given for the most part to things like nutrition, uh, uh, toxic factors in the environment, uh, when in fact those are probably the major things that are causing the problem in the first place. And now I just also read something, speaking of just, you know, uh, taking out the prescription pad, that individuals who, who have been prescribed such, uh, such substances may have their constitutional rights taken away. So... You're talking about uh, forced vaccinations or things like that, or what? Actually, I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't talking about that. But if you want to follow up on that thought, you're welcome to. Well, I think uh, we, we should probably bring up. We're talking about autism, and we're talking about conditions like this. Uh, you know, the 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 government and the various uh, the the major media and the um, uh, conventional medicine. Uh, various organizations, you know, have totally and completely denied that there could be any any relationship between uh, vaccines and uh, and and the onset of autism and other neurological conditions. When in fact, uh, to me, looking at somebody who does, who doesn't particularly have any kind of uh, anything at stake in terms of uh, whether or not vaccines are contributing. I mean, to me, the evidence is pretty strong that it is playing a role in many people, certainly predisposed people uh, to, to things like ADD, ADHD, uh, other neurological condi- conditions, autism, uh, seizures, etc. And uh, what's happening in many states is that these uh, government agencies are uh, under pressure, I think, and, and lobbying pressure from political, uh, from uh, pharmaceutical organizations, uh, passed legislation through the governments uh, to make these vaccines um, mandated. And of course, anybody who uh, is uh, against that or is, is uh, questions the value of vaccines or questions the toxicity of vaccines is regarded as having two heads by the mainstream media, which is largely supported by the thing. So it's it's kind of a real unholy alliance among all these these four different uh, uh, groups. You know, the, the, the conventional medicine and and uh, pharmaceutical companies and the major media and uh, uh, the government. And just to to set the record straight. And as reported by the AtlanticWire.com, quote, researchers have found no connection between autism and violence. So we want to make that statement in relation to the tragedy. Um, of course, our first, our first priority is our, our hearts go out to um, the, the families of the, the victims there. Um, and also, uh, but... but but also no connection between autism and violence so that those with uh, autism shouldn't be unfairly stigmatized. Um, Another incident that's happened recently, um, very sadly, in Chad, Africa, uh, at least 40 children became paralyzed after receiving meningitis vaccination. Yeah, new vaccine. And um, you can imagine how uh, bewildered, frightened uh, those children and families may be, and they did not, uh, you know, didn't even have access to 
to immediate or sufficient medical care. Um, so let's look uh, at America to Dr. Schachter. CDC figures give us at least one in six children with developmental problems, one in 88 children with autism, one in 54 boys with autism, and a 2011 academic pediatrics journal article told us that, quote, an estimated 43% of U.S. children, 32 million, currently have at least one of 20 chronic health conditions assessed, increasing to 54.1% when overweight, obesity, or being at risk for developmental delays are included. So what in the world has happened to children's health? Deborah, you want to? Uh, yeah. Um, I, it, while you were saying this, Terry, I, I was just reflecting on the statistics in the Los Angeles Unified School District. I started researching the autism um, rate in, in Los Angeles when I was doing research for my book. And in 2003, there were 3,500 autistic students in Los Angeles Unified School District. Last year, the most current statistics I have, there's 10,995. So almost 11,000 autistic students in one school district. And, and just to let listeners know, Deborah. The Mind Institute had done a study, and they had ruled out diagnostic substitution. They had ruled out pop population shift. This is the Mind Institute from UC Davis. And California uh, was the state in, the, in America that had the best uh, record keeping on this, and they only counted cases of full syndrome autism. Full mm -hmm. syndrome autism is not a quirky kid. So let's not try to deflect to that. Right, right. Yeah. Please proceed. Well, um, so obviously it, the epidemic is increasing, and if it continues to increase the way it has been, by 2020 it would be like one out of 12 children will be autistic. So we, we, we do have an emergency going on, and we have to get real about what's happening. And even to go further and look at how we can prevent autism from occurring. And this is something that is being totally ignored by our medical establishment. Everybody should be tested for heavy metal toxicity in detox before becoming or starting a family in an ideal world. Because we, we do live in a toxic world, as the doctor pointed out earlier in the interview. And in order to really get a, get a hold of, um, of, uh, get a handle on this epidemic, we, we need to go to the root problems. We need to clean it. We need to eat healthy diets. We need to pay attention to, um, you know, any medication that we are taking. For example, um, women, there's now a study, I actually wrote an article on this for the age of autism. When pregnant women who take Zoloft have a much higher um, increase of having an autistic child. So, so this needs to be addressed. Um, why are women being pregnant women being prescribed Zoloft or other antidepressants while being pregnant? Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. 
Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. The show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Every weekend, take some time out of your schedule for New Reflections, featuring Dr. Adam Rubenstein. It's a show about all things aesthetic, from skin care to plastic surgery, health and beauty. You'll learn about the aesthetic products and procedures to embrace or avoid. Each show will feature live, virtual, interactive consultations that you'll be able to follow along with and featured guests from the world of beauty and aesthetics. Listen Saturdays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, for New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We are back with Dr. Michael Schachter, the director of the Schachter Center for Complementary Medicine. You can find them at www.schachtercenter.com and Deborah Merlin, author of Victory Over ADHD at victoryoveradhd.com. Our sponsor is Humpback Dairies, uh, who provide uh, very healthful camel's milk. They're at 417-848-7570. And before the break, Deborah, you were talking about Zoloft in pregnancy, and I wonder if Dr. Schachter would like to follow up on what you were saying. Well, I, I basically what I was saying is, is I'm suspicious of any drugs, and it's not surprising at all to me that you're going to start uh, seeing if somebody really starts looking at things, you're going to see that there's going to be an increase of, of uh, all kinds of um, health problems in children, which can include autism, um, when, when, when uh, uh, mothers, pregnant women are, are taking uh, various types of substances that are not found in nature to be part of the uh, human existence and all of these all of the drugs these patentable drugs are, are substances that are new to, um, to 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 our universe in other words they are things that have to be invented and and created in order for them to be patentable and just by virtue of them being patentable they they are something that our genes have not been used to dealing with and as a result you can expect all kinds of adverse and un, unintended consequences uh, from this so uh, this uh, does not surprise me at all i think when you talk about the epidemic of autism though uh, all of these factors in terms of nutrition, in terms of uh, toxic environment, I think play a role. But I think in terms of the unbelievably rapid growth, uh, growth of autism rates over the years, you have to look at something. It's, it's obviously environmental because genetic things don't occur that quickly. And so it's obviously environmental. And secondly, so what major change has occurred in the last uh, 20 years, let's say, uh, in our environment for children? And I think the it clearly the major thing that has changed is the vaccine schedule, the amount of vaccines and the number of uh, different vaccines that a, ch- a child gets at one time. And, uh, you know, I, I just uh, find it incredible that uh, various uh, 
conventional uh, physician groups and and uh, and the um, federal government and CDC and so on, you know, just uh, t- turn their eyes, uh, close their eyes when it comes to uh, parents who have videotapes of their children who are absolutely normal, uh, and then they get, a, they get their vaccines, and sometimes immediately and sometimes within a few weeks or a few months, you start to see these abnormal changes and how they can continue to deny uh, that, uh, this is, uh, that there's a causal relationship between these things is, is beyond me unless you, you explain it in terms of tremendous conflicts of interest. And they, they're, going to, they're going to start with an answer, and that's going to be it, regardless of what evidence you've come up with. Right, yeah, my friend, uh, my friend was um, Irish Catholic and had about 56 cousins with many nurses in the family, and her son had never shown a sign of autism, and uh, her family should have known since they had so many relatives and nurses and such, and uh, he went and he got his MMR shot, and within five minutes he had a high fever, 10 hours of screaming, uh, he had, and crying, he had autism the next day. Yeah. Um, she had five children. Her middle son was accidentally given an MMR shot, and he also regressed into autism. The The good news is that her first son recovered from autism. He recovered from autism, and autism recovery is possible. Yes, uh, yes. given Yeah, given the right information, uh, excuse me, interventions. Also, you know, Ray Palmer down in Texas did a study of learning disabilities in the school, depending upon how far you were from a uh, mercury-emitting coal-fired power plant, things like that. Um, there have been uh, you know, studies involving pollution. So if you can have learning disabilities from mercury from a power plant, if you have disabilities from heavy, uh, toxins and pollution, why wouldn't you be affected if you're bypassing the body's immune system and injecting these contaminants, mercury, aluminum, etc., right into the person. And also, Dr. Schachter, I liked your point about these, these drugs, these substances being new and new to our genes in order for them to be able to be patentable. And this is a reason that the drug companies don't like things like people taking nutrients and they try to restrict citizens' access to nut- good nutritional supplementation because they can't patent that. That's right. And they're threatened by that. Deborah, I understand that you were also uh, given terbutaline during pregnancy. What's that used for, and isn't that associated with autism in a lower birth weight twin? Well, I um, had to go into terbutaline because I went to premature labor at 27 weeks, and by the time I got to the hospital, I was one my I was one centimeter dilated, and one of the twins was 90% effaced. So I had to be at strict bed rest in the hospital on terbutaline. Um, I started with an IV, and then once the contraction slowed down, I took an oral pill for it. And I was not aware that um, tribubulene could have caused autism, although it could have been part of the perfect storm. But um, I also had a lot of um, toxic issues, which I was not aware of at the time. I had 15 amalgam fillings in my mouth, and... I grew up in New Jersey, and DDT was sprayed every summer, the pesticide, to kill mosquitoes, and I was definitely exposed to a lot of DDT growing up. So I was pretty toxic when I got pregnant, and this is why part of my mission is to really educate people about really looking into detoxing before starting a family because 
it's the only way you can really be sure that you're going to have a healthy baby. Um, but anyway, I don't know how much tubulin played in the role of my kids having issues, but um, it, it was just between their prematurity, they got all the vaccinations. Um, one of my twins was uh, very sick. He spent the first four months in the hospital with premature lungs or immature lungs. So um, it, it's hard to say how much each part of it played in all their developmental delays. But um, but it was, you know, it, it was a process of eliminating, you know, detoxing them from heavy metals and changing their diets. And um, it, it was a journey. Uh, it was a long journey for me. It took 12 years to get all the answers that I needed to really make a full recovery, to help them fully recover. But um, so my answer is I don't know how much, of an effect tribulene had on any of their issues. I don't know. Okay. So what kinds of problems did your boys have in their early history, and when was their ADHD diagnosed? Well, between three and four, I started to hear ADHD and autism. And then, depending on what I fed them that morning, (laughs) their diagnosis could fluctuate. So um, I, I was the poster mother who did everything wrong. You know, my kids were picky eaters, and, you know, I would feed them Fruit Loops, and that definitely had an impact on their behavior because they were eating artificial food coloring, which incidentally has traces of heavy metals in it. All or most artificial food coloring has traces of mercury, lead, and arsenic. So every time these kids are eating artificial food coloring, that's definitely affecting their behavior. Um, one of my twins, um, the teachers and the doctors thought for sure was high-functioning autistic. It turned out he had a real severe ear uh, or dairy allergy, and he was constantly on antibiotics. Once I took him to an alternative doctor at six years old, he got him off the dairy, and lo and behold, his autism went away, and as, and as well as his ear infections. So sometimes it could be something that simple. Remarkable. And when did the seizure start? Well, with my one twin, it was really hard to say exactly when it started because we were not aware that he was having seizures. He did have facial tics. And as he was getting older, his his temper was becoming quite violent. And that's another reason why I'm so glad I never put him on any of these um, drugs because who knows what would have happened with him. But um, it wasn't, it, I, I was complaining to my doctor who happens to practice alternative medicine about my son's um, irritability. I see he's constantly irritable and he has no impulse control. And he said, well, let's do a, a QEEG, which, you know, to help determine if he's having brain seizures or not. It turned out he was. But it wasn't obvious in the sense that, you know, he'd fall down and have a, a full-blown seizure. It was very subtle. And it turns out that up to one-third of autistic and ADHD kids actually are having brain seizure activity. Okay, that's very important, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to read an excerpt from your book. You said, the QEEG report showed abnormal activity in Wesley's brain. In lay terms, parts of his brain were moving too slowly while other parts were moving too fast. The doctor described it as playing a football game with all the players running at different speeds. His brain was missing the relaxation type of rhythm, which created seizure-like activity in his brain. 
This discovery would explain why Wesley was irritable so much of the time. He had a hyperactive brain with little thresholds. According to our doctor, if we had put him on Ritalin or any other stimulant, it would have most likely made him worse or even have caused him to have a convulsion, one of the many side effects of the drug. And, Dr. Schachter, I know that you can't address a particular individual without taking a history and examining them, but from Deborah's description and knowing what we know about comorbidity between autism and seizures, how wise is it of a practice to willy-nilly medicate children on a spectrum with psychotropic drugs without knowing more of their physiological profile? Well, I, I think it's, uh, it's, it's very dangerous, and unfortunately, uh, uh, doctors, uh, most doctors don't know what else to do. You know, they see something, uh, uh, anxiety or, 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 they, or, or, or problems. Comes. I mean, what will happen is uh, some of these drugs, these stimulant drugs, uh, can have an effect so that uh, they, in some kids, that will help them to focus. To, uh, you know, in other words, if they did studies, but they, they, they all have adverse side effects underneath that, problems with uh, uh, appetite, uh, growth and development, especially with the younger children. So uh, the, the, the problem is that they're not looking for other things. Uh, you know, you mentioned, for example, um, the toxicity is important, nutrition is important. You mentioned dairy is an allergy. Well, uh, most of the kids, probably, I think at least 50% of the kids with an autism spectrum disorder uh, have sensitivities uh, to both dairy and gluten, or gluten, which is a protein found in wheat. And most of these kids, if they stopped uh, having uh, processed foods altogether and just ate foods, and if possible, I know it's expensive, but uh, organic foods that don't have the pesticides and the, and the fungicides and other toxins in them, uh, you would generally, uh, this would it, in and of itself cause a tremendous improvement, uh, just like in, in your child who uh, improved uh, with the removal of dairy. And it's very fortunate, often it doesn't, it's not as dramatic as that, but it can happen, and most kids uh, with these problems will improve somewhat by improving their diet, just cleaning it up and trying to get them off uh, processed foods which have chemicals, the artificial coloring, the artificial flavoring, and, and many of these other things, uh, getting them off that and getting them on whole foods that our genes were designed to handle. Uh, even okay. the, even the, the, you know, it's even the, the, the uh, it's only been about, I, I think, 10,000 years or so that we introduced grains, and a lot of people can't handle uh, gluten. It's not just people who have celiac disease. That's the extreme case, but there are many people who have gluten sensitivity, including me, for example, uh, uh, where I get fatigued if I start eating a fair amount of gluten. Uh, a lot of pe other people have other kinds of, all kinds of reactions to that, and getting off gluten, uh, most of our patients feel better when they get off foods containing gluten. All right, and um, following up on these important points that Dr. Schachter was making, I'm going to address my next question to Deborah, and uh, also we're going to go straight through to the end of the show and, and skip this last break so that we can cover more information for our listeners. Deborah, what did your son's doctor recommend insofar as appropriate medication or nutrition, and what kinds of improvement did you see with addressing, for example, amino acids? Well, once... Um we found out that my son was having um, seizures, and my doctor did not want to um, prescribe Depakote to help with the brain seizures because um, Depakote has a million side effects, like many of these drugs. So um, he did an amino acid panel on him, 
and it found out that my son did have a, a pretty significant amino acid deficiency. He happens, you know, my doctor happens to be very knowledgeable on nutrition, which is rare with most medical doctors. So um, he was able to figure out what amino acids he needed. And what was so amazing, Terry, is that within a couple of days, I saw no more facial tics. And the facial tics were quite severe prior to the amino acids. Um, and a year later, we did a Q, uh, another QEEG, and there were no more brain seizures. Wow. None. Um, also, his he was no longer violent. He was much calmer. He was happier. Wow. And this all happened immediately, like within the first week. The results were breathtaking. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, amino acids are the building blocks of life. And so, and what was interesting is once we found this out, I had my other twin tested and myself tested for amino acid deficiencies. And sure enough, I was more deficient than both of them. And I, I, so I started taking amino acids as well. And I actually felt giddy. I was so happy after like the first few days of taking them. I felt such a difference in my mental health. So, um, but I'd like to hear what the doctor, like, um, doctor would say about amino acids too. Well, amino acids are the building blocks for the proteins in your body, and the proteins involved with the, the structural parts of your body, but it's also involved with your immune system. It's also uh, involved with, uh, with uh, the, the amino acids are involved with making these neurotransmitters that we've been talking about. Uh, so the, um, the amino acids are very, very important, and frequently uh, people who have digestive problems, uh, uh, for example, those who are sensitive to gluten will have damage to their intestines, and they won't be able to break down the protein in their food very well, and the result can be that these large molecules, instead of the amino acids, which are the component parts, uh, get absorbed into the bloodstream, and that could result in uh, an immune response, and you start to react. It's so-called the leaky gut syndrome, where one of the functions of the gut is to prevent uh, stuff that shouldn't get into the bloodstream from getting into into the bloodstream, and and actually, uh, with with failure to break down the proteins properly, you, you will get both an amino acid deficiency, but also you'll get uh, allergy responses uh, from that. The other thing I think that perhaps uh, many doctors, even alternative doctors, don't look too much at is the whole issue of fats uh, and fatty acids and how important they are because your cell membranes are largely made up of fats. All the cell membranes in the body, uh, including the brain, are made up of, uh, uh, of fats and proteins. And frequently, uh, when, with a lot of the processed foods, for example, you get what are called trans fats or abnormal fats that get in there and screw up the cell membrane so nothing works properly. So part of the treatment program is also to get the right kinds of fats and fatty acids into the body uh, to balance it out, to have the right ratio of omega-3 to omega-6 omega to omega-3 fatty acids uh, in the body to, to make sure that, uh, believe it or not, that you have enough of the proper cholesterol in the body. A lot of people have tended to demonize cholesterol when cholesterol is very important in terms of the structure of the cell membranes. So this is another aspect of it uh, that needs 
need to look at when you're when you're looking at nutrition. Uh, you need to look at fats. You, look, you need to look at the proteins and the amino acids, and uh, all of that should be. And then, of course, the nutrients. Uh, uh, some uh, the, the deficiencies in various minerals and, and vitamins. Minerals, especially uh, a lot of uh, our our general diet, uh, our, our processed food diet, the typical American diet, the sad diet, uh, as I call it, which is the uh, uh, t- typical diet that, um, that, that the Americans have, are very depleted in minerals, uh, magnesium being a good example. So, for example, in the seizure situation that you were talking about, frequently uh, correcting magnesium deficiencies along with the amino acids can bring about uh, significant improvement. Yes, my sense taking magnesium, too. Yeah. So in the interest of, of time, um, I'm going to address a question to Dr. Schechter and then Deborah, Dr. Schechter, it sounds like there are various so-called uh, mental health conditions that can actually be remediated with pro- appropriate targeted uh, nutritional intervention appropriate for that individual under uh, an experienced health care pra- uh, practitioner's care. Well, there's no question about it. I mean, I've been involved originally, uh, uh, although I see patients with all kinds of problems, uh, cardiovascular and cancer, using this nutritional approach, uh, I'm originally a psychiatrist. And uh, I've been involved since the 70s with, with uh, patients using the, the, what's called orthomolecular psychiatry. And orthomolecular, ortho means right or straight, and molecules refers, refers to the molecular environment of the cells of the brain. And what you try to do is you create the optimal molecular environment for the cells of the brain for them to work properly. So uh, I find myself, a good part of my practice is trying to help patients get off the conventional uh, prescription drugs and get them balanced with various nutrients and getting them off uh, allergies, uh, balancing their fats and their fatty acids, their amino acids, getting the minerals uh, done properly, getting them to eat whole foods as opposed to processed foods and so on. And the answer is yes, I think uh, in virtually uh, all of these patients, you can bring about some improvement and some very, very dramatic and some that's just the answer. And unfortunately, uh, rather than making people better with uh, the uh, many of the prescription drugs, we wind up making them worse. So what's your take-home message for preventing tragedies like what happened in Newtown, Connecticut? Well, I think we have to start look, asking these questions, uh, looking at this whole issue of, of medications and so on, and uh, whether or not, and, and trying to put pressure on the press, for example, to, to get the information and get it out to the public. People need to know about this so that they can make intelligent decisions. Uh, and then there needs to be a great deal of education about the environment. Uh, I mean, a lot of this is very expensive, unfortunately. Uh, you know, you to start cleaning up the environment. Uh, you're talking about, for example, uh, not using amalgam fillings, which are 50% mercury. A lot of people are walking around with mercury fillings that are making them toxic, and they don't know it. It's playing a role. I mean, there's just so many things things. But education, I guess, is the first place to start. And then you have to begin to gradually bring about these changes and uh, a good diet, uh, trying to uh, prevent uh, exposure to toxins in, in ways that you can control them. Many times you can't control them. There are a lot of things that we don't have control of in the environment, but at least the things we, sh- we do have control of, if we have enough, enough um, intelligence and enough knowledge, we should be able to, uh, to begin to bring about uh, pro- proper changes. Yes, and and Deborah, your summary 
of how your family overcame ADHD without harmful psychoactive drugs? Well, um, again, um, I I was toxic, and you know I had premature twins. It was the perfect storm to have children who have new to have neurological health issues. But it was addressing the diet, detoxing my children, and um, eating holistic, you know, organic food um, was very important. I became, I really had to educate myself. I go to the farmer's market every week. I buy organic produce. Um, they eat grass-fed meat. I, I'm very careful with you know what we eat. There's, I don't buy sugar. You know, there's no sugar products in my house, and no more dairy. So I think all those things have really made a, a, you know a, a great contribution to their recovery, um, along with the amino acids and fish oil supplements have also um, contributed to their health. So they're, they're both doing really well now. We all are much healthier, and I'm really grateful that I was able to hook up with a doctor who knew something about nutrition. And it, it is my hope that the insurance companies and healthcare reform will include more alternative ways to heal people because um, these drugs really suppress the symptoms and they don't help at all. They just cause more problems. And a, a child growing up in Woodland, as the doctor pointed out earlier, it suppresses you know, the appetite the kids have insomnia, and it's so critical that our children eat well and sleep well to grow, and, um, and these drugs just make the opposite happen. So um, it's so important to address the root cause and not suppress the symptoms. Good point, and I want to give listeners uh, these website addresses again, uh, thanking Dr. Schachter and Deborah Merlin for being with us. We have Center. that's S. C-H-A-C-H-T-E-R center.com. The Schachter Center is located in Suffern, Rockland County, New York, near New York City. And um, Dr. Schachter has uh, various books, so please look for them on his website or Amazon, such as What Your Doctor May Not Tell You About Depression. Deborah Merlin is the author of Victory Over ADHD, victoryoveradhd.com. Look for her book, and I know that Dr. Schachter wanted to give a shout-out to ageofautism.com and Backtruth, B-A-C-Truth.com. I want to thank you both for being with us today. Thank you, Terry, for having me. Thank you, Terry. Very interesting show. We have lots more that we could talk about. I'm sorry that that we're out of time. I would have liked to have been able to keep going. Next week, my guests are Wendy Fournier and Lori McElwain from the National Autism Association on the vital topic of keeping your loved ones safe from wandering-related drownings and deaths and other important safety issues. Don't forget to register for the Autism One conference at www.autismone.org. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Terry or get more information, visit autismone.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. 